Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I am a park ranger at a remote national park known for its dense forests and rugged wilderness. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The peacefulness of the park is broken only by the sounds of the wildlife and the rustling of the leaves. But beneath the tranquil exterior lies a dark and dangerous secret that has been hidden deep within the park for years. One night as I was on patrol, I heard a strange guttural noise coming from the heart of the deep woods. Curiosity peaked. I decided to investigate, but what I encountered was far from what I expected. As I ventured deeper into the woods, I came face to face with a massive, unknown predator. Its fur was matted and its eyes glinted with a malevolent hunger. 
It was unlike any animal I had ever seen before. Before I could even reach for my radio, the creature attacked. I fought with all my might, using every ounce of my strength and training. It was a struggle for survival, with the unknown predator intent on taking me down. I thought I was done when another park ranger found us, and then creature fled. I soon realized that what I had encountered was far more than just a wild animal. It was a dark mystery, something beyond my understanding, lurking in the heart of the park. And even now, as I look back on that fateful night, I can't help but shiver with a mix of fear and excitement. It was a cold and cloudy winter evening, and I had just woke up from a nice little power nap. I was tired as usual after every power nap, so I slowly got up and went to the kitchen to get something to eat. I got some food, heated it up, and went to go sit down and watch some YouTube. I sat down and found a video of urban legends on my home page. I was interested, so I clicked on it and watched it. It showed the usual goat man and moth man, but one urban legend caught my eye. A urban legend called the Orange Eyes. I was intrigued and watched it. The video creator said that it was a Bigfoot-type creature. It was tall and had glowing orange eyes. But what I was really surprised about was it was a urban legend from my state, so after I heard that information, I searched up where it's supposedly at and found that it was only a 15-minute drive from me. So like any other adventurous human, I hit up my friend and asked if he wanted to come with me and go look for it. He told me that he doesn't believe in that stuff and it was a waste of time, but I begged him and finally, after a couple of minutes, he agreed. I was really excited I got dressed and packed some flashlights because it was almost nine. After I was done packing up supplies, I got in my car and had to pick my friend up. When I got there, he didn't look too excited and said that he was tired. He got in the car and we were on our way. I told him the details and what the thing looked like and he said that. There's no way the thing is real. I told him that it would be fun and that there's probably nothing out there. We got to the road that would take up straight to the area we could get out it to be closer to the forest entrance. While driving down the road, I couldn't help shake the feeling of being watched, but I tried to not notice the feeling and kept heading down to the entrance. We got to the entrance and I handed my buddy a flashlight because it was pitch black outside. I told him if he was ready and he said that he was good. So we start the nightmarish journey into the forest of the orange eyes. We walked for a good hour or so with nothing really happening. My buddy said that he was tired and wanted to go back home, but I told him let's stay for two more hours. He agreed and we continued walking. I couldn't shake off the feeling again of being watched. I told my friend if he felt the same way, and he said yeah, ever since we turned onto the road that headed down here, I felt like I was being watched. We both were on edge now as we continued forward. Not too long after the feeling of being watched, we hear to our right something being snapped, like if someone or something stepped on a branch. We both jumped at the sound of it and pointed our flashlights over in the direction of the noise. But to our relief, it was just a little deer. We joked around with each other about who jumped more at the sound. We did this for a minute or two. We were in the middle of having a little argument when we heard heavy breathing coming from my left. We stopped arguing and listened closely to see if it was what we heard. 
We heard the heavy breathing like we thought we did. I didn't want to shine my light over there, so I tried to see if I could see anything. Thinking back to it, I wished I didn't look because what I saw would haunt me for the rest of my life. What I saw standing there behind a tree was ten-foot creature standing there with one of its eyes peering around the tree. And what shook me down to the core was that its eyes were orangish-red color. At this point, I wanted to pass out from fear, but I stopped that from happening. I looked at my buddy, and I could tell that he saw it too. I told him that we need to get out of here now before it's too late. We both agreed that we would take off at a dead sprint back to the car. I told him on three, we will go. I started to count, but I couldn't even get to two when felt a warm breath hit the back of my neck. At that point, I screamed, run. We kicked it into six gear and ran as fast as we could. As we were running, I heard the tree moving and felt the ground shaking. My lungs were burning from the thin, cold air. We ran for what felt like hours until we saw the car. I reached into my pocket for my car key and with one swift movement unlocked the car, opened the door, and turned the car on. I put the car in reverse so fast I felt like I could have been a stuntman for a racing movie. I hit the gas, flung the car around like an action movie. I put the car in drive and floored it down the road, never looking back once. Once we felt like we were a good distance away to ease up a bit, I asked my buddy if he was okay, and he said he was fine. All I did on the drive home was think about how close the creature was to me for me to feel its breath. I dropped my buddy off and told him to be safe and take care. When I got home, I took everything off, took a shower, and went to bed. The next morning was good. I felt like the day before was just a bad dream. But I realized really soon that it was real because the backpack that I had used to carry my stuff had a big slash in it, probably from the thing or a tree branch. From when we were running away, I called my friend to check if he was all right and continued my day after. By now, I've kind of gotten over it and my friend doesn't think of it anymore. From that experience, I don't want to go to a forest to hike or camp anymore. I hope you take something from this and learn to not be stupid like me and go out to a forest at night. Went for an afternoon hike once. At the top of the ridge line, I scrambled around a plateau of rocks to be on the other side facing another canyon and off the trail to smoke a tiny bowl. This is already a quite secluded trail. Maybe expect to see less than five people all day. It's like 12 noon and sunny. Nothing spooky slash special. Halfway through my bowl, my dog goes full Razorback, Rottweiler, Healer mix, and loses her ever-loving mind. Deep dark growl. Gets super skittish and won't go with me back around to the other side. I have to go ahead first and then command her to come past some invisible barrier. I think I even picked her up to get past a section of rock she refused to go past. But I wasn't going the other way around since I didn't know what was there to rain or otherwise. I've got goosebumps on every part of my body and my hair standing up on my arms the whole time. Now I'm high and adrenaline got me spooked and paranoid. Based on everything and where we are, I'm thinking mountain lion. I get back on the trail and nope the F down the mountain. 
Some two weeks previous, some transient teen with green hair had been reported missing in town and thought to have tried hiking with her dog, Wolfcast D. Mix, through the mountain range to a popular alpine lake on the leeward side. Her missing person poster was around town and at the campsites down the canyon. Several days after my spook, they found her hanging from a tree just off the trail, and her wolf dog had been eating what he could reach of her leg slash torso. Don't know to this day if it was her sent to wolf dog that spooked my dog or a mountain lion, as I don't know exactly where they found her body, but it was somewhere close in the same area. But I'm so glad I wasn't the one to find her. High, adrenaline pumping and on edge, dog razor-backed ready for war, coming around a corner to find a long green-haired corpse half-eaten by a dog and hanging from a tree would have been done. My wife and I were traveling to the Smoky Mountains from Ohio on an anniversary getaway. We usually avoid highways in our travels and instead prefer the scenic and slower-paced state routes of my childhood. This trip stood out as quite a disaster as we struggled with both the GPS and paper maps while navigating a route I was at least somewhat familiar with. Navigational errors are not our norm, and we quickly found ourselves having an uncharacteristic argument that got fairly heated but was nonsensical. It was like we spoke different languages and were looking at different maps. We eventually found ourselves in increasingly less populated areas and poorer road conditions. For those not familiar with the area being in central Kentucky, the forest is hilly and expansive, dotted with small towns and the occasional privately owned farm amidst all the federal land. We had eventually quieted down, anxiously following the GPS as it cut in and out. Our anxiety grew until the GPS suddenly chimed in with turn left now. I responded by reluctantly starting the turn when my wife suggested it must be a shortcut we were unaware of. Upon completing the turn, I slowed. Seeing the road took a sudden drop in quality. Potholes large enough to get a tire stuck in. Overgrown scrub growth on the edges and ominous gnarled vines hanging down. The hair stood up on my neck as it still does right now as I write it. Bringing the car to a stop, I asked my wife, Are you sure about this? As I looked towards her, No, we need to turn around, she starts to say, but is cut off, almost frozen staring at her phone. Not in the way a person freezes when terror sends their muscles trembling, but completely motionless. I instinctively slam it in reverse. Backing into the position, we came so that I could continue the course we were on. As we reached the end of our reverse turn, I slammed it into drive, but went nowhere as the rear of the early 2000s Lincoln is lifted off the ground. Before I can process what is happening, something charged from the woods to our right. At first, it was a large red blob that moved with a speed and grace that seemed unnatural to its grotesque nature. As it closed the gap, it was clear that it was running on all fours, but only partly so, its forward movement agile but uneven as it irregularly used its arms with its oddly bent hind legs. It was almost like its limbs were growing as it eventually came to stand on its hind legs and place its hands on the glass. 
Up close I could see what I thought was fur seemed more like strands of rotten flesh that grew as thick as a shaggy dog and smelled overwhelmingly of rotten fish and moss. Its hands looked nearly human were it not for the rotten fur and long claws. The face sticks with me as much as the smell, being somewhat shaped like a human that has its face twisted and pulled forward in vague canine shape with large pointed ears toward the top of its head. Inside its snarling mouth were long, narrow teeth that looked almost too large to close. But the eyes were the worst part, bloodshot and yellow. They leered at my wife with a hunger, the kind of hunger that promises unspeakable things. When you're in a flight or fight situation, you usually get that distinct moment of clarity where you make your choice, even if it's one you're ashamed of. In that moment, I felt like a small dog defending my mate from a rabid wolf. I stomped the gas pedal and bellowed hard, Go now! And a series of loud noises that sounded more like barks than human noises. It jolted suddenly in the rear of the car drops leading to a loud peel-out. It kept pace with us, scratching at the car and banging on it until we broke 45 miles per hour driving wildly through the winding country until we saw the lights of a town in the distance. We parked in a well-lit parking lot in the center of town next to a gas station. We busied ourselves as we inspected the car, reluctantly sharing what we thought we saw. She was in tears and sobbing about feeling a pressure in her head, and that she was conscious but paralyzed. Looking into the trunk, I spotted a cracked strut and a lump of the rotten flesh dangling from a frame member. The smell was still overpowering and sent us into a tear-filled hug as we stared at a piece of the filthy creature and realized it was likely at least two of them. The one in the window and the one that lifted the rear axle of the ground. Thoroughly shaken, we sat in the car facing opposite directions and discreetly unpacked our handguns and hid them under our blanket. We waited until nine or so before setting back off towards our destination via highway. On June 4, 2001, I stopped at a beach north of Brookings, Oregon, for my usual evening walk with my golden retriever. When we crossed the creek near where it empties into the ocean, to get to the north and rugged end of the beach, my dog, who normally runs a block ahead of me, froze. She did not wish to walk anywhere in this area. We turned around and took a walk on the south beach. At 7.15 p.m., heading up the path to the parking lot, I happened to glance up at the steep hills on the north. I was stunned to see what appeared to be two very large men, both dressed completely in black. I looked again to determine if they were a threat to me, and saw they were, in fact, covered in black, and it probably wasn't dark clothing. The figures walked in a hunched-over posture, one right in front of the other, arms swinging like apes, and taking very long strides. They seemed to see me and appeared to be coming toward me. I started to run to my Chevy Blazer. Partway there, I turned to see if I was being pursued, only to make eye contact with a large doe, perhaps less than 100 feet away. I did a 14er hike in October. I had a pair of combat boots, but they were summer boots and had very poor traction on ice. I knew this, so I went out and bought some yak tracks for the hike. They're absolute shit, 
They got snow stuck to them, so instead of my boots being rubber on ice, were ice on ice. In the whole hike, I slipped and fell fifty to one hundred times. The yacht tracks even began to fall apart a few miles in. By the time I got to around thirteen thousand feet, I noticed one was gone. That left me high in the snowy mountains with extra slippery boots. With the hardest part over, I made it to the summit. Then I had to descend with slippery boots and what was left of the yak track on one boot. I had to zigzag down a steep drop while following some footsteps of previous hikers. One slip in the wrong direction and I wasn't stopping for a long ways. I'm a 32-year-old lady from the very northern tip of West Virginia. Most of my life has been lived in Hancock County. When I was little, we camped in tents, walked everywhere, hiked at parks. All that outside goodness. In my teens, we started going to state parks to ride horses. I have been to Tomlinson Run, Beaver Creek State Park, Salt Fork, Raccoon Creek, and Vista Park, I think that was the name. We had a friend who was constantly inviting us to ride on people's land she had received permission from. I'm well acquainted with the local wildlife. I've seen all the major players, including coy dogs and bears, and can identify most sounds in the forest. I love watching nature documentaries. I was looking to become a vet, so I studied a lot on animals. Drawing and painting them got me very acquainted with animal anatomy. Was I ever into cryptozoology? Yes, I was a dino-crazy little girl. My one babysitter had Reader's Digest Mysteries of the Unexplained. The thought of a plesiosaur in Scotland or an apatosaurus in the Congo was just mind-blowing. Later in life, I started looking at it like folklore. It was interesting to read the accounts and learn the theories behind what people were seeing. But I believed in them as much as a folklorist believes in dragons and trolls. I didn't have any interest in Bigfoot, and I'd never heard of Dogman. I never had interest in looking, nor did the thoughts ever cross my mind. It seems I didn't need to go looking. They found me. We moved to the farm when I was about ten. Mom's dream was to have horses, and she was finally able to live it. The farmhouse was haunted, mainly by the former residents of the house. I never felt threatened by them, though. It's a little unnerving to have two men talking and moving the couch you're sitting on. Or should I say it sounded like it? No one was home. No media was on. And yet I was hearing two men talking about how they were going to move the couch and where, and the sound of furniture being dragged right from under me. The land itself had its share of strangeness. Most things were benign, though. We just shrugged and carried on. I honestly hated our woods. Anywhere else, I'd freely hike. But even in the yard, sometimes I felt watched. Heck, sometimes I thought something was staring in our windows. Now that I think of it, we did have things slam into our trailer. I'd think it was a horse that had gotten loose. But when I'd go out to investigate, I'd find nothing. I'd chalk it up to a deer. I used my horse's breeds for their names rather than think up names for them. Anyone who knows me knew my horse's names. I was 18 to 19 in this encounter. By this time, we gave up on cows. I hate, hate them, and just had the horses and chickens. Someone knocked on the door at 2 a.m. 
I'd only been asleep two hours, but years of conditioning had my heart pumping and my mind clearing. Someone knocking that early meant trouble. It usually meant horses or livestock had gotten out. I wasn't disappointed. Our neighbor said the horses were in his yard. My mind wasn't totally awake, so I didn't think to ask which yard they were in. My stepfather came out, asked what was up, and told me they were my horses, so deal with it. Mom was working. That was nothing new. This lot of horses had three expert escape artists. I had the routine down. It was pretty dark out, but I did have some moonlight to help. The security light only went so far. Then, of course, it shut off after so long. When it was cloudy, you literally had to watch that you didn't walk off into the ravine. It was so pitch. I was naturally in a foul mood, cursing my horses and wondering if some drunk had gone through the fence. Again, it happened a lot. As I got closer to the brown barn, I realized a horse was flipping out. It was running back and forth, squealing and carrying on. I went in and grabbed the halters and leads. I paused for a moment to see if any other horse or horses had replied to the horse I heard squeal. That would give me an idea where the other horse or horses might be. There was no reply. That was odd. I was thinking, crap, they're on the other side of the hill. It was the only reason in my mind they wouldn't be replying. Let's just say when they followed our cut trails to the other side, it took us an hour to traverse through the woods and lead them back. And even with two guys on a four-wheeler and my mom, that was a freaky trek. I felt like I was being watched and followed. Maybe it wasn't paranoia. So the land is set up like this. The brown barn was connected to a small pasture, about half an acre long, which then connects to a seven-acre pasture. Pretty much in the center on the outside edge of the large pasture was an old white barn that we turned into a run-in. I decided to tackle the horse still in the fence so I could bring her down to the small pasture to keep her from escaping too. Maybe the others would follow. I had to walk clear to the other side of the pasture to get to the panicking horse. It was my mother's psycho Appaloosa mare. I tried to catch her and nearly got trampled a few times trying. She was frothing at the mouth and her eye whites were really showing. Was I alarmed? No, I as I said, psycho. I noticed my other six were across the road. They were standing in a tiny little fence, an area under a spotlight. They were standing motionless and not touching a blade of grass. I was wondering how the neighbor managed to herd them into that tiny fenced-in area with that tiny door. Three of those horses were over sixteen hands tall. One was a draft horse cross. The doorway was actually small enough. He touched both sides going through. My thoroughbred mare took me two hours to corral. The last time she got out, much to my frustration, she was an awesome jumper. So a stranger rounding them up and putting them into a tiny yard was mind-blowing. I've had horses since I was nine. I'm thirty-two now. I've had ponies and horses. I've had Appaloosas, Arabians, draft horses, quarter horses, saddlebreds, thoroughbreds, mustangs, foals, geldings, that still thought they were stallions. I've had a lot of horses from all walks of life. I will tell you, they consistently do not like to be crammed into tight spaces, especially not in a group. I had two severely abused horses I was rehabbing. 
a thoroughbred that actually had PTSD, and a racking horse that actually took me three years to touch without some sort of a bad reaction. They did not like being in stalls, and all but one were mares. Maras are extremely moody, and two of mine were particularly vicious. To those they didn't like, my walker mare only liked three other horses. She should have been kicking the crap out of the others there. Man also didn't like to be under lights when they escaped. They avoided them like the plague. And not eating grass, that was over ankle deep, that was unheard of. They were silent and dead still. My neighbor came out and told me that they were like that when he found them. He asked me if I needed help, but I said no. My thoroughbred and racking horse mares did not like men. I told him I'd take them out, one at a time. I took one halter and lead and threw the rest outside the gate. I put the halter on my gilding and opened the gate to lead him out. They had other plans, though. All six came out as a freaking unit. They were literally chest-to-butt crammed together. My gelding and my Welsh mare had their chest pushing against me as we walked back to the brown barn. Normally, they did not do this. I wouldn't usually allow such bad behavior. We were on the main road, which I did not like. The speed limit is only 35, but people go 60. So I tried to lead them through the large pasture gate. They wouldn't even go on that side of the road, though. I was a little unnerved by their behavior. So I lead them down to the brown barn, and they went in. They were skittish, though, picking at the hay I threw out, walking around restlessly, sticking to the barn-like glue, and eyeing the upper pasture. I rationalize it by thinking, it's the atty flipping out that's unnerving them. And why hadn't she come down yet? She had to have seen us all walk down. I rushed to the gate between the little and big pastures out of habit. I didn't want the herd to go back out, into the big pasture. I didn't have to worry. They didn't follow me, like they usually did. The gate was wide open, but the appy was still running and squealing, back and forth in the same area. I started to go get her. Now the neighbor's security lights didn't really light up my pasture. The road was higher than my pasture, so it was cast in a shadow. I could make out her shape in some detail, though. She took off at a panic gallop, swerved sideways, and jumped the stream. When she landed, she nearly landed on her face. She caught herself, though, and took off at a dead gallop again. I ducked behind the stump. If she would have hit me, I would have been dead. I went back and chained the gate. I decided to forego looking her over until I got the halters and leads. She was too hot at the moment. I decided to walk on the road instead of through the pasture again. The pasture was uneven, unlit, and full of springs. Sometime during this, clouds had taken over the sky, so there was no moonlight to see by. The spot on the road where I was at was paved and pretty well lit, though my neighbor was paranoid as mentioned. I'd almost gotten to the white barn when I got this sudden urge to stop and look at a very specific spot in the pasture. I would like to say it was instinct that told me to look, but usually I'd scan the woods first to see what was watching me. That's usually where the watchers are. Instead, I just flicked on my flashlight right on a certain spot. It was extremely close to where the mare was flipping out. I saw red eyes shine. My first thought was, why in the world would a deer be there with all that chaws? I was feeling a sense of extreme dread and didn't know why. 
Besides, it being where my horse was going nuts told me something else just wasn't right. I then realized where the eyes were relative to the walnut trees and my racing barrels. See, the road is above the pasture and the walnut trees were right at the same elevation as the road. The pasture itself is sloped to deal with the runoff from the road. The barrel it was next to was on the low end of the incline. The barrels were white so I could see a dim lighting from my flashlight on the one it was next to. This thing was too freaking big to be a deer. I was frozen standing there watching it. I just had this feeling it was evil and that I had to keep track of those eyes. It was watching me. It slowly blinked a few times. It also looked over into the woods above the pasture. I know you ask your guests if they ever feel there are other ones out there. Well, let me tell you, it, it crossed my mind. With a sinking stomach, I flashed my flashlight over the woods to see if I would catch eye shine. I didn't see any, though, so I went right back to the eyes. They were still there. I flicked back and forth, making sure nothing was sneaking up on me. I don't know how long I stood there watching Frozen. Someone could have come around the bend and hit me with their car. I was so focused. Finally, it started to move off. It glanced at me sideways a few times. Only one eye. I think it went into the copse of trees around the creek. I heard nothing. That wasn't surprising, though. The horses were still restless and making noises. I stood there a long time after, looking for eye shine. I was wondering if it could have been a bear. I didn't think so, though. The eyes were consistent in height until it disappeared. Bears are clumsy on their back legs. On this uneven, inclined ground, I have no doubt a bear would have dropped to the ground to go on all fours. Even the rear up and drop down behavior bears do when they're trying to see something wouldn't work. We had one cross our pasture before. He made a lot of noise going through the woods. The horses settled down quicker with the bear. I was almost to my neighbors at this point. I considered leaving the couple hundred dollars of tack at his house. Halters and leads aren't cheap. I had no doubt if I left them there, they'd be gone in the morning. My mother would be pissed. So I darted over, grabbed them, and ran like a bat out of hell. I know, I know. I should have left the tack. I also know you're not supposed to run, but I couldn't even conceive what I had just seen. I got into the barn, threw the tack down, and hung with the horses. I wasn't going to go back up that pitch-black driveway on foot. I figured with the horses I'd have a warning, and the barn had plenty of sharp things. I didn't go back up until dawn. I was frozen stiff by that time. I've had years to think this over. It unnerves the crap out of me. How long was that thing there? Was that what was keeping the appy mare from coming down? Was it right there in the shadows while I was trying to catch her, or was it in the unlit barn? I walked through to get to the road. Was it the reason the epi swerved and nearly fell? How did my horses get out? I never did find how they got out. Did they panic and jump the fence? I did check the fence line away from the woods. I did look for tracks around the barrel. Sadly, the ground was hard from frost that morning. But I will say the appy mare was running for a good while. The ground was severely torn up and turned into a muddy mess. It was high noon when I went down there to check, and the ground had melted. 
I'll bet it was her that woke the neighbor up. It took them about a week to fully settle. I don't know if whatever it was was still in the area or if they were that traumatized. It wasn't too long after that my mother filed for divorce. My ex-stepfather got the farm and I moved in with her in the city. Even with all of the weird crap going on there, there were none bipedal things going on too. I miss it terribly. Maybe it's more accurate to say I miss the farm life rather than the actual place. I'd love to get back onto a farm again, but I'd probably hesitate to move back there. I never told anyone about the Ashine event. I didn't see the actual creature and really, uh, how do you convey that unnatural horror-inducing feeling? You saw Ashine whoop dee do. My mother would have given me the benefit of the doubt, but my mother often told family members things. They made my life enough of a living hell. I didn't want to give them more ammo. This actually happened. I'm serious. The only reason why I even tell people is because my friend saw it with me and we still talk about it to this day. B-16 or 17 friend came by to tutor me in calculus about 10 p.m. at night. I let my friend drive my car to his house. He lived out in the outskirts of town where there's nothing but orchards of almonds. Passed by cattle ranch with lots of lights. Silence in the car. I'm on shotgun and I see a bull running on its two legs like a human. Bull turns its head towards us. Red glowing eyes bull looks like it's getting ready to spin around but then evaporates. Look towards my friend and ask him, Did you see that? My friend replies, Did it look like a bull running on two legs with red glowing eyes and then it disappeared? Yes, I saw that. Photo F that was about ten years ago. My coper came in his day off just to tell me that his friend saw the exact same thing six years after the incident. My ex didn't see anything. Was on cell phone. One hundred percent true story. Roller coaster, Appalachian Trail. Nobody else at the shelter. Woke up early in the a.m. Watch it died. Used a stick to tell the time. But daylight savings are no. So I knew it was between 7 and 9 a.m. Started hiking out because my daughter was picking me up that day at a predetermined location. I didn't pass or see anyone that whole day. I started thinking I hadn't seen anyone the day prior either. And that didn't seem normal because the roller coaster section had been pretty well traveled. Anywho, my mind started messing with me, and I started to think that an emergency had happened in the world, and I was the only one left. Kept thinking I had to be close to the rendezvous point. Where is it, map? Gotta be close. Where is it? Then I hear a car horn way up the mountain beep three times. So I scramble for my whistle in three short bursts in response. I hear my daughter scream, Mom! And I look up, and she is running down the mountain, screaming, crying. I was late by five or six hours, and she was terrified. I broke down and bought a cell phone after that. This was about six years ago, so I held out pretty long anti-consumer. I think I just way overslept and mind-screwed myself. I was glad to have a cell phone on subsequent hikes, even if it didn't work everywhere. 
made me feel a bit safer about being a solo female traveler and gave my daughter peace of mind while I was gone. So I live in the rurals of Indiana, U.S. It's pretty stereotypical, a gravel road surrounded by cornfields, all that. It gets pretty spooky at times. Cornfields are creepy at night, and it always sounds like something is running through them. Dark, twisting shadows from trees in our yard. Occasionally weird animal calls. Yada, yada, yada. One time I forgot to feed the outside dogs during the afternoon, so I had to go out back and feed them, even though it was dark out. When I turned around, I, I swear I saw a figure lumber over the peak of the roof behind the chimney like it was hiding from me. It terrified me, and I sprinted back inside, which actually felt more scary considering I was running the direction of the thing I just thought I saw. But the real story comes from a few weeks before, and why that fleeting thought scared me so bad. So bit of backstory, my dog can best be described as a punk. He's a miniature schnauzer, but he thinks he's big and scary. He is fearless to a pretty stupid degree. We had a pack of coyotes walk through our empty field, and I had to sprint and tackle him to stop him from confronting the entire pack, growling and barking the whole way. Same story when he escaped the fence and went for a nearby neighbor's two angry boxers. So animals don't scare my stupid dog, and as I mentioned, he had gotten in the habit of escaping his fence. So one night, it's like 3 a.m., and he wakes me up and is whining and groaning and clearly has to go outside. Well, he had been escaping and I hadn't fixed the fence, so I hooked a leash on him and went outside. The motion light came on and I could see it's insanely foggy. The fog was so thick I could barely see the car in the drive, maybe 30 feet from where I was standing. So I was a little unsettled, but I take him out and he does his business and he starts sniffing around. And he kind of was whining, like he was smelling something weird, and he started circling and being agitated. Well, I thought I'd walk him through the yard to calm him down so I could go back to sleep. Well, like I said, he has never been scared of another animal, and his response to seeing anything is run up to it barking. But he stopped and focused hard, and his breathing started going really fast. But he was standing close by me, not pulling on the leash. I followed his gaze and I saw this dark figure, bigger than a person, lumbering across the yard. It almost looked like a large person hunched over, maybe on four legs. Maybe not, bear-sized, but I've never ever seen a bear anywhere near here. Cornfields and towns between two cities is where I live. No bears. The fact that he was clearly scared and didn't want to engage this thing, mixed with I couldn't tell what it was at all. I ran back inside and he very happily followed, and he sat down once inside and just looked up at me, whining like he was scared. Single most terrifying experience of my life. I was hiking miles deep into the backcountry valleys and the Society Islands when I came across a cabin that was 90% completed but the tools and generator and everything was still there. Only everything was covered in vines as if the builder had suddenly stopped for a lunch break and hadn't returned for years. 
Even a small radio with the on switch still on sat on a nightstand with the batteries and metal components rusting out. Next to it was a fantastic antique pocket knife that I decided to keep, passing up on the thousands of dollars of tools and other valuables. As I made my way back towards the single track path, I entered a clearing and was immediately circled by two wild dogs. They were greasy, dark black with wild yellow eyes and vicious, snarling teeth. I flipped out the knife as they began to lunge toward me, making small doves toward my legs. I swiped at one and aggressively stomped toward the other. This continued for twenty-thirty seconds, but felt like an eternity. Soon they slowly retreated as I became more and more pumped with adrenaline, making actual attempts to stab them by now. I yelled as loud as I could and stomped even more, and they finally retreated and scattered into the jungle. We heard three loud whoops and a howl, almost like a dog, but different. None of our dogs barked, but were very still and quiet, which is unusual. The pattern repeated itself with variations for about two minutes. We thought it might be drunk graduates at first, but our friend who had left for a midnight four-wheel drive said no one was camped above us on the mountain. The next night, all the others in camp heard loud screams, but I was dead asleep. There were five children and four adults in camp both nights. We looked in the meadow and along the creek that runs through our camp spot, but never found any signs. Then again, we did not know what to look for besides footprints. None of us have ever heard the noises before, and some of us have been in the woods, camping frequently since childhood. We are all in our mid-thirties. We had all went to bed about two, three hours earlier after just talking around the campfire. We put all the kids to bed about 9.30 p.m. It was so loud it woke the kids up. It sounded very close. Out hiking the Wonderland Trail in 2012, my trailmate and I had an encounter with a rather standoffish park ranger who questioned us to a severe degree. After answering her questions to her satisfaction, she relaxed and informed us that there was a killer on the mountain, and they were trying to hunt this guy down. He'd already killed a park ranger and had taken food and supplies from other hikers. We had no idea this had been going on. The next few nights were sleepless. We never saw the guy, but we also have no idea if maybe he'd seen us. I went to Paradise on Mount Rainer and took a little butt of shrooms. I walked up to Panorama Point and just suddenly felt freezing cold, so I walked back down and made it back to my car. During the busy season, overflow, parking for paradise, goes to the picnic area. I was not capable of driving for about another hour. I opened Netflix and was going to watch some trailer park boys. There was a large family of about 40 Middle Eastern people having a picnic in front of my car. And the kids were running in, between the cars and playing. They kept putting their fingers where the door ends and the driver's side glass starts and peeking into my car and giggling and running away. Needless to say, I had to get out of there. So I took my bag and walked to a quiet spot and set up the hammock and watched the sunset.
I was hiking along once and on my way back after a peaceful and pleasant day when I just hit a wall. I wasn't tired. It was pure dread, like I was being watched and suddenly had a sense of not making progress, like my car, the trailhead, were no longer there. Also started to feel like if I stopped, I would hear or see something that I wasn't supposed to, and the smell was just off. There is this certain smell in the northeast woods sometimes that smells like rotting uh, fermentation of plant matter. I want to say it's cattails maybe, but I don't think that's it. It's really hard to describe other than it's very distinct and sort of comes out of nowhere, especially in the summer and when the wood feel quiet. It's always made me afraid for some reason, which sounds stupid, but the smell just takes over everything and feels wrong like the normal, natural plants smell off because they're decomposing around a body. I was in the Mission Mountains in Montana hiking to a lake and not even a quarter mile in, I heard something in front of me. I looked up and saw the biggest brown ball I've seen. Lucky it was running away. You could hear this beast feet hitting the ground, thundering through the forest. I'm almost certain it could have been a grizzly because I saw a black bear in the area the day before and was no comparison to size. So anyway, I carried on to Lucifer Lake and on my way back walking in the dark, there was another animal that I could not see but ran across the trail behind me and stopped under a tree. I could hear it rustling around all aggressively and stop and... I could tell it was just staring at me in the dark. So I pulled the trusty point, 357, and bear spray out and got the F out of there. This was my first time to the lake and was by myself. Twenty fifteen. I was packing up camp in the Catalinas east of Tucson an hour or so after dark and all of a sudden the sky lights up and about one third of my field of view looking up was bright. It kind of seemed like there was a projectile at the center, but it was hard to tell what I was seeing. No cell service, so we weren't sure if Phoenix had been nuked or what else may have happened. It turned out to be a Titan. Missile launched from a submarine off the coast of California and it was very lightly reported at the time, and none of the scant few videos I've found, even ones filmed from California, no justice to what I saw. We weren't full-on panicked about what it was, but it was very unsettling to see. As a child in Wyoming, playing in a creek bed with my sisters and heard rustling in the bushes on the bank directly across from us, we look up just as a baby moose pokes its head out. We were savvy enough to know Mom was nearby, and a breath later she too pokes her head out of the bushes. She was so big, leaning out of the bushes, her neck and head spanned the creek bed. I do not remember running for the car, but my mom says she turned around to see what the fuss was, and all four of us and our dogs were back in the truck. Wonderful experience. Mom, Moose, and Baby were beautiful, but the mother was also huge and terrifying. I think my heart stopped until we were back in the car. <laughs> 